0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Michael Kist. You caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak.
2: You never listen!
1: It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 149. Brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist, NFL. That's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak, without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. How you doing, brother?
2: Mike, everything is delicious. Thank you for asking. What everything. am I going to do? Be sad about this? No.
1: That's right. You got the juice today?
2: <laughs> I got the juice today. We have so many things to say about being happy on this podcast, which is fun. But no, I'm well. I'm spiraling. The more I watch and the more I research and the more I read, the more I learn about injuries, the more I am worried about this football team on sunday
1: i don't feel great about it
2: yeah did i still pick them in the bgn weekly (laughs) picks despite the fact that blg has now pulled even with me and my lead is now shared yes am i maybe going to change that before sunday do i know who i'm going to pick at the end of this episode
1: these are all questions we're all wondering mike I'm not 100% sure either. So we're going to talk through some things and try to figure it out because this is going right. to be the second part of our two-part preview series as we do every week on the Kiss and Solak 148. We did the Seahawks offense against the Eagles defense. Today, we're going to flip side. So we'll be doing the Eagles offense against the Seahawks defense before we get into that and the injury report that's been updated for this game. I, I wanted to touch on something and I kind of wanted your thoughts too, because I don't know if this take is, is like 100% accurate, but I do think it kind of gives a unique perspective and perhaps uh, a better outlook on things moving forward for carson wentz because of some of the parallels uh th- this comes from one of our listeners and we were added in the mentions of it this is uh ben's ben sniper simmons is his is his handle name. at real prince blue he says quote on a serious note the eagles have to treat carson wentz like seattle did russell wilson get the snakes and malcontents off the team
2: snakes and malcontents Whew
1: Beautiful phrasing. Uh, Carson can't lead until they are gone. Seahawks dismantled the L.O.B. the Legion of Boom because of age and attitude, and now it's Russell's team, and they're legit. Unquote. So I found that really interesting. Your first reaction, because you were a little bit younger when when Wilson was kind of going through these leadership questions that I think a lot of of early career quarterbacks kind of have to go through, but he definitely went through it, and the Seahawks went through a remake of their roster, getting rid of some older guys, getting some getting rid of some of the more boisterous voices in their locker room. Yeah. And it really has become a few years later. This is Russell's team. And a lot of the criticisms about him as a leader have completely gone away to the point where you weren't even sure that there were leadership questions before. Ben, what do you what do you make of this? Just looking at it current day with Carson, the questions around him, the things being leaked about him?
2: So I generally think quarterback leadership is overrated. Like as long as you are loud enough in the huddle to communicate the play call <laughs> and as a like audible at the line, you're good. You know what I mean? Like, like to me like uh, that's always been underrated, overrated thing. Now, obviously when you're down by 4 in a divisional matchup and, and in the playoffs and with the game on the line and the season on the line, all of a sudden you wish you'd cared about it more, right? Because you <laughs> you want but it doesn't have to be the quarterback in the huddle who kind of amps that up. It's just kind of de facto because obviously he's the one through whom the offense runs. So there's there I have that prior kind of coming into the conversation. Carson Wentz's leadership. He is, is a a North Dakota State product. The demographics in North Dakota State are very different than the demographics of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I like the way you put that. <laughs> yeah, but and, but then and then also like on top of that. Just putting demographics off to the side, had he gone to a power five, had he gone to a group of five school at the collegiate level, an FBS program, you're still playing with guys who like have been high-profile high school athletes and are now high-profile college athletes, and there's renown, and there's fandom, and there's, there's stardom. And obviously, like in Fargo, like Carson Wentz is the greatest thing since like Cheese.
1: Yeah, but that's like small-town right. popularity kind of deal.
2: Individuals who make it to the NFL level are wildly different than the individuals who play at... North Dakota State for the Bison, Bison with a Z,
1: and the media from North Dakota State to Philadelphia is a crazy culture shock. Right,
2: and so like you go back to 2017 when there's the whole like oh like Carson's not Nick Foles' biggest fan thing, which from at least from this podcast, it, the message has always been well no doy would you be? <laughs> he stepped into your job when you got injured and won the Super Bowl. We would all feel jealous. Uh, We would all feel envious and we would all feel, you know, wonder what could have been. The, the, The question there is to what degree is Carson capable of handling such a drastic shift in like the visibility of that and, and, you know, people making conclusions off of that and how long that's kind of carried him and followed him uh, and how long that that's mattered. I don't think Wilson had that NC state to Wisconsin comes in as a third round pick wins the starting job. So he's not like the christened savior. You know what I mean? Like he kind of has more of a Nick Foles path, which, you know, Foles and Russell Wilson, very famously both third round quarterback picks in that draft. Russell Wilson, very famously, almost quarterback pick for the Philadelphia Eagles wondering what could have been. Can you imagine? Crazy. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Do you think if Russell Wilson was our quarterback, we would we would have become what Seahawks Twitter has become?
1: Probably. And and, and I think the way that, that Russell was treated early on in his career and then the, the quotes that, that, that were coming out about him would have been made into a gigantic deal here in Philadelphia. Right. And overall, and, and at the end of the day, we'd be fine. Like for instance, that stuff started to quiet down probably around 2015, but you know you know what it kinda took? Not only kind of like revamping the roster and whatnot. But his miraculous comeback against the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game, winning helps. Right, a <laughs> I lot. mean,
2: what, and that's that's what we always say is like winning. You know, in terms of winning, helps. Eagles are five and five, one game back in the NFC East. Winning helps. If Car- like Carson misses the three throws before the Nelson Aguilar fourth and ten against the Patriots, if let's say. Aguilar had caught the falcons ball we'd be six and four right now you think we'd talk as much about the things the first three throws no we wouldn't even though absolutely not they still happened well why it's because like you said winning helps so
1: i mean we didn't talk about like just to make it like a detailed football thing we didn't talk about the short area accuracy for carson wentz in 2017 which wasn't all that great pretty much on par with what we've seen from this season nobody cared they right. were winning i was about me. to say
2: you said nobody talked about it we i, I talked well, about we, it and everybody yelled at me
1: we, we talked <laughs> yeah. about it and yeah and right. you definitely got yelled at about it yeah. so
2: right so like and that's <laughs> not like like you know who cares we're like oh look at us we, we knew that carson missed throws as we've been trying to say every quarterback misses throws all the time it's just as as i cannot say enough on this podcast on any podcast on anything i write the defense is allowed to make good plays sometimes it just happens like there's no mm-hmm. way around it but anyway I don't anticipate Carson having long-term leadership problems on this team. The further away we get from Foles, the fewer yes. players who are here for what was one of the oddest, most unprobable Super Bowl runs of all time, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the more we'll be able to forget that. I mean, there's the the Scandrick criticism folded into many, many other criticisms of, like, this team still remembers the Super Bowl. And that's one of the ones where you can look at and you can kind of be like, yeah, because it's mostly everybody who was there. Is still here. There's not been a lot of roster turnover in Philadelphia. So
1: the Super Bowl captured the Eagles rather than them, it is basically what that comes down to.
2: Yeah, that's a cool framework for it. So, yeah, so I I don't have any concerns with Carson as a long term leader. As I always, uh, again, like kind of we're doing Ben's greatest hits here of things that drive me nuts. But (laughs) uh, like, you know, I always like to put quarterback valuation, not evaluation, but valuation, you know, it's like a very complex and varied and, and and it's got a spectrum to it it's a difficult thing but really at the end of the day it boils down to would you pay this guy a huge second contract yes or no it's the only question that matters at the end of the day huh. if he's if he's worth it then who cares if it's 116 million versus 126 million at this point we're talking about literal pe- like relative to the size of the contract 10 million dollars who cares it's another 10 over six years you know what i mean like that is he worth the big contract or not after that you know if it's if he's paid more than Jared Goff, less than Dak Prescott, whatever. Was Carson worth the second contract? I think unequivocally, yes. He's worth the second contract. So once you have that question answered, you know, at, at, at the point, oh, was he really worth it? Yes. Should he, could he play yeah. better? Yes. would there be other co- quarterbacks who are pl- paid less who play better? Always. Quarterbacks who played worse who played more? Probably. This is, this is what it is. Valuation isn't perfect, but was he And is he worth the second contract? Yes. Well, then he's going to be here and then he's going to be the leader of this team. He's going to continue to learn how to lead. Team is going to continue to learn how to follow him. We're going to grow further away from Foles and eventually we're going to stop talking about it. Yeah. Maybe not that last bit. We kind of hold on to things sometimes.
1: Right. That's true. But I I think you're right. The further that we get from Foles and that's why I kind of have a brighter long term outlook. On this whole thing, despite this season going so wrong and being such a disappointment, obviously a lot of things got to get right from a roster construction standpoint and whatnot moving forward. But still, I have I'm really not all that concerned. Okay, so I'm glad we deal with that. That was a good little chat about Carson Wentz and leadership and and whatnot. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show: the preview of the Seattle Seahawks defense going up the Eagles uh, against the Eagles offense. Let's get to the injury report quickly here before we dig into all that. We are going to deal with the Seattle Seahawks list that has 19 players on it from Thursday. Of course, they're West Coast. I don't think that Friday report is going to come out while we're recording, so we are dealing with slightly uh, old news. But it did not participate. Jadavion Clowney with a knee slash hip. Tight end Luke Wilson with a hamstring. That's interesting. Defensive tackle Jerron Reed. With an ankle slash groin, I like Reed. Uh, cornerback Nico Thorpe with a groin. A tight end Ed Dixon with a knee. So that's two two tight ends that did not participate. Uh, as far as limited participation goes, Tyler Lockett with a shin. As we've said, we expected him to play. Pete Carroll said the same thing. Defensive end Quentin Jefferson with a hip slash ankle. Guard Mike Eupati, Iup- uh, non injury related, but then also foot. What is NIR? I think that's non injury related, but then he also has a foot. So okay, that's weird. And then linebacker. <laughs> K.J. Wright with a shoulder. Uh, Tackle Dwayne Brown moves from did not participate to limited participation on Thursday, which is a good outlook for him to play with a knee slash biceps. Tackle George Font with a knee. Full participation, safety Lane O'Hill, wide receiver Josh Gordon, quarterback Russell Wilson, dealing with a hamstring. Uh, he's been on the injury report two days in a row now.
2: Oh, that's kind of a thing.
1: Right. If his mobility is a little bit hindered, that that would be Woo-hoo! a win for the Eagles offense or for the Eagles defense. Uh, running back Chris Carson, non-injury related safety, Quandre Diggs, hamstring. I mean, there's so many people here. Jason, Jason Myers, the kicker is dealing with a right hip matters, extremely specific. And he struggled throughout the season, especially with the kicks beyond 40 yards could play a big difference in this game. Also listed as full participation of Bobby Wagner, Al Woods, uh, I would not worry about them whatsoever. Ben, uh, I mean, the major takeaway here is, okay, how bad is the hamstring for Wilson? I'm not sure how long he's been on the injury report for him. I see him, you know, starting Wednesday, I wasn't, they had the bye week. So that was kind of hidden. Uh, we don't know when that popped up. I'd probably have to research it, but that could be a big thing. That could be a huge thing. Any other takeaways from, uh, from the injury report?
2: No, part? Wilson being limited matters a great deal because, and this is what we, we talked about, this team wants to roll him out. And if he's tight, they're not going to want to roll him out. You don't want to expose him to contact, number one, but also you don't want to put him in a situation where his legs are part of the the natural design of the play right, right. you don't want and, and
1: you say limited but you're saying as far as like just from a speed perspective because he was a full participant just wanted to make right. sure that that part was right clear. well that's but. the
2: thing about a hammy ask daniel yeah. pumphrey you know when you're <laughs> full practice with a hammy guess what you're not really uh you know that 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 can tie on up on you real quick so yeah that no i, I would say that that is is a significant one that's something that that i look at and is oh, a big deal to me um you potty and brown cool. We're the only two offensive linemen who I said were good, and they're both beat up. <laughs> right. This yeah. is, we say it every week, but this is very much the case this week. Eagles win, it's because the defensive line beats the offensive line, right? This has to be a win in the trenches. This is the only place I think you have an advantage from a unit versus a unit. Yeah, matchup advantage is going to be your defensive line against their offensive line, and especially if guys like Brown or Eupater are less than 100%. We're getting to that time of year where less than 100% matters, especially for the big guys. You know what I mean? This is a hard, long season. We're in week 12. And um, so this is, um. I think that that's, that's pretty significant. Quandre Diggs, you said, was limited or, or full?
1: Full, with a hamstring.
2: Full, okay. Well, I mean, hamstring again, so obviously you keep an eye on it.
1: He was limited on Wednesday, so it was a shift for him.
2: Diggs played out of his Diggs. mind yeah, uh, against the Niners. And Diggs is a big deal.
1: We liked him going into the Detroit game. I was like, look at this Quandre Diggs guy. And then they traded him. I was like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And now he's playing really well for the Seahawks.
2: Everyone should listen to us <laughs> all of the times. Big facts. So yeah, Diggs is a good player. Uh, and they actually, they cut Jamar Taylor.
1: Who was our nickel guy.
2: Yeah, I think in part because of what they get from Diggs. Because I think Diggs is a good rotation Mm-hmm. player to move into the line of scrimmage that being said now it's fourth round rookie ugo ugo Amadi, Amadi. who this is <laughs> this is gonna be a big triggering game for ben because dk metcalf and ugo amati are gonna make plays and these are two of my <laughs> my darlings coming out
1: I remember you told me to watch uh, uh, Ahmadi, and I I, I liked him. He's, he struggled, uh, he, you know, playing some nickel. He struggled a little bit, but uh, I liked what I saw in the college what This what
2: he's, he's best suited for. I mean, like, I'll be honest with you, in terms of the matchup that you want to attack, it's going to be him. It's going to be probably his first start in the nickel, assuming they put him there. I'm not sold that they do. They might start nickel as a three-safety set. TBH, uh, McDougal, Blair, and Diggs. Right, right, right. But... When Amadi's on the field, I think he's the guy you want to target because he's the new starter or whatever. My other favorite thing about this is that with Amadi and Diggs, the Seahawks could potentially like field three safeties all at the same time. They're all like five, nine or shorter. And as a as, as a averaged height, young man, I greatly appreciate that. I stand for the Seahawks safety room and all of their five, eight athletes makes me very happy to see.
1: So let's get to the Eagles injury report here before we get to break. And then we'll get into the X's and O's and scheme stuff of, uh, of all this. There's a lot to break down. And then we got to get to our final predictions. But did not participate again on Thursday. Remember, we are recording uh, early Friday. So we don't have the uh, Friday report. However, I do have some some notes here that I can kind of reference from people that were leaking who was at practice. Mm-hmm. Nelson Aglore knee, Rudy Ford abdomen, Lane Johnson concussion. They were not out there for practice. However, Alshon Jeffrey and Nigel Bradham were, and Jeffrey was a limited participation throughout the week. Peters has been a limited participation throughout the week. Nigel Bradham has been full participation throughout the week. Uh, So limited as well, Jordan Howard is in there. But him being limited two days in a row, probably today as well, that's probably a good sign that he is going to play In this game, any additional thoughts there? You know, with Aguilar being out, it's interesting because you mentioned, and I don't want to get too far into the scheme stuff before we, like, really dig in, but this, like, could have been a Nelson-Aguilar game because the matchup, right?
2: Yes, but also no, (laughs) because he's not very good. (laughs) Right. So... Like I'll be honest with you,
1: if you were to say this like week two, week three, I would have been like, "Yeah, okay, this right. this is the get right game for Nelson." There is, I don't think there's a get right game in Nelson's body right now. Right
2: now, I will say this, and I tweeted about this half jokingly, but I'm half serious. Aguilar does not play. That probably puts one of your two tight ends in the slot more.
1: Ertz mostly, yeah.
2: Throwing to a tight end, Ertz or Goddard, has been better this year. <laughs> Than throwing to Aguilar. Yeah. So honestly, Nelson, who is at, you know, 90% of the snaps in the past few weeks, missing helps.
1: Might be might create a better matchup. Addition especially by
2: subtraction. Because you, like, you know, I, the joke that I made was no Aguilar, no Alshon means more targets for Goddard and Sanders, which are higher EPA plays anyway. And mm-hmm. they actually are. I mean, it, in terms of targets, Sanders is over 0.4 EPA. Uh, Goddard's right about 0.2. Jeffrey's just over zero and yeah. Aguilar is a negative EPA you lose points when you target Nelson Aguilar mm-hmm. on this offense yep so really and obviously you know you got sample sizing things or whatever but this is what you you know the look of this offense would be like if you you know obviously the wide receivers help open up the tight ends of the running backs I get that but like it's it'd be nice to not waste five targets on Nelson Aguilar this week I think that would help the offense
1: And screw sample size. The eye test tells you all you need to know about that. So when we come back here on the Kist and Solak show, we are going to dig into the X's and O's of this matchup for the Eagles offense. That's coming up next right here on BGN.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team.
1: We are back here on the Kist and Solek Show, episode 149, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solek, part two of our series, of our preview series of the Eagles and Seahawks. We're talking about the Eagles offense. And first, of all, we'll start with uh, with the Seahawks defense. And I mean, the, the Seahawks defense overall hasn't been a good unit this year. Shout out to like Matt Schaub. Like, they're, they're 23rd in scoring, 25.4 points per game. As far as DVO, they're, the DVOA, they're fairly low. They're ranked 21st. They have the 18th ranked rushing defense, the 16th ranked DVOA passing defense. So nothing real spectacular. And when you look at the Seahawks defense, we know their coverage. It's it's cover three in the variations they're in. And it's, it's not only the country cover three basic type that you see so much from Jim Schwartz. Uh, that said, they haven't been particularly complex, especially when you compare it to what they were doing late in the year last year but this is something that typically ramps up for them as the season goes on and looking at it after the buy you could see along with you know all these different concepts Reno skate Mabel these different more aggressive match coverages that they already do you could see more wrinkles out of the buy they've mm-hmm. thrown in brackets before and we're going to talk about ways to beat those staple concepts for them but first just some basics about what this defense is going to look like. You're going to get a ton of base from this team, especially if the Eagles, you know, Aguilar can't go in a limited capacity and you're going to get a lot of 12 personnel. So three linebackers. They're a heavy base team. Now they're going to do some different alignments from that. You've got your more traditional 4-3 looks. They're going to do some 5-2. Especially against the Eagles, I think you'll see them add Michael Kendricks to the line and go with a 6-1 look where you're going to get staggered hook zones on either side to prevent against RPOs. In passing situations, you're probably going to see some three safety packages that includes getting rookie Marquise Blair onto the field, like you talked about, those big nickel three Mm -hmm. safety looks uh they're not quite in love with their nickel situation as we talked about with ugo Amadi right now they've cut jamar taylor who they've tried there and he was awful so they're kind of playing around with things and looking for answers and i think that's a factor as to why you're getting a more vanilla version of their defense lately the other thing i i've, I've seen them do in situations like third and long they'll give you some dime looks they'll play quarters they've used cone brackets to outside receivers before for this against philadelphia i'm not so sure they have to worry about that as much but regardless yeah. From their, from the Eagles three by one sets, the, Eagle, the Seahawks are going to lean that post safety, that deep safety to the trip side. The Seahawks have had issues covering backside posts because it slides their safety away from that. It's something that the Eagles need to test early. They need to scheme up some vertical concepts that will test this defense and forget about personnel.
2: Forget about personnel. I could never.
1: Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but this is where scheme has to save you in these cases. So three by one, Look for the backside post, okay? When the Eagles are in two-by-one, I want to see them either jet motion or motion Sanders out of a split-back look or just out of the backfield in general and run post-wheel combinations. The Eagles had issues getting Sanders activated and open with wheels out of the backfield last week. They need a new trick in the bag. There has to be variety. And we talked about the possibility for the Patriots to run switch vertical post wheel concepts against the Eagles last week. The Eagles should take a page out of their book and bust that out this week to try to manufacture some shots Uh, from two by two. When the Eagles have two on each side, the Seahawks are really good at covering the seams. They have checks for that. And I don't really expect that to be a big thing for the Eagles hitting the vertical seams. They're going to have to find a different way And the other thing I'll note that if the receivers are having issues, and they will in beating man coverage, and the Seahawks are just content with manning them up, you have to get them out of it with the RPO game. Uh, Bottom line, I am not an offensive coordinator. I'm just an idiot with game pass and some crazy theories that Ben will probably kick back on and and provide some better theories. But the second they hit a deep shot with post wheel, number one, I'm going to dunk all over the timeline. But the reality is, it's It's on Grow, it's on Doug to make up for their deficiencies by out-scheming the Seahawks and finding shot plays to revitalize this offense. Carson has to see it and throw it. The receivers have to complete the catch. There's no question about that. But the coaching staff also has to put them in the position to succeed to get to that point. And in a game that could turn into a track meet with this Seattle Seahawks offense, they have to keep pace. Not every drive can be 16 plays. They need to scheme it up because so far... We haven't seen that with any kind of consistency. Ben, your thoughts?
2: There's a lot. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> throwing
1: Shout out to uh, Matty Brown. As at I Maddie was going to guess,
2: I was like, somebody spoke to Matthew. That's <laughs> what
1: happened there. <laughs> Scheme extraordinaire.
2: Ken Norton, defensive coordinator in Seattle. You might remember Ken Norton as the defensive coordinator of Seattle. Well, actually, he was the linebacker's coach. He was there during the Legion of Boom time, 2010 to 2014. He was the linebacker's coach. Uh, Had the great pleasure of coaching one Bobby Robert Wagner and one K.J. Wright. He goes to Oakland as their defensive coordinator. He has to San Francisco as like a defensive consultant head coach guy. And now he's back in Seattle as the defensive coordinator. So this is what what traditionally was the Legion of Boom. This is one of the minds behind it. But it is not the secondary's coach. Is the linebackers coach at that time, and what has been retained from the Legion of Boom error on this defense is not the defensive backfield. It is mm-hmm. not cover three press. It's the front, and the mm-hmm. front was the really a- was was an interesting aspect of Seattle's uh, success with the Legion of Boom that we need to talk about. We need to make sure we understand the four three under front versus the four three over front, and this also helps us answer a question of. The Seahawks sent a third and some picks, or excuse me, a third and some players for Jadamian Clowney. The Eagles did not. Well, how did the Seahawks use Clowney? Would the Eagles have used him in that way? Because the 4-3 under front is not something the Philadelphia Eagles frequently recruit. They cre- frequently recruit a 4-3 over front. Uh-huh. Over and under are the ter- is the terminology used by the offense to identify the location of the three technique. If you listen to the podcast, you should remember But for those who don't, the three technique, uh, this is the defensive tackle alignment. Your three technique lines up between the guard and the tackle. That's typically your best pass rusher at the defensive tackle position. That's Fletcher Cox. He's very frequently the Eagles three technique. When the Eagles rush Brandon Graham from the inside, Ben Kerr from the inside, lined up as three techniques. A 4-3 over defense is a very typical expression of the 4-3 defense. And the over call means the three technique is set to the strength. That's the best player. He is set to the offensive strength. We have a tight end to this side of the formation. We have a fullback to this side of the formation. That's where the three-tech is. He's where the business is happening. He's where the action is. Over front, he is set over to the strength. In the 4-3 under front, which is what's deployed by the Seattle Seahawks, the three-technique is set away from the strength. What does this mean? It means, number one, it's not really a four-man front. It's a five-man front. Because in order to have enough numbers to the strong side, you rotate the strong side linebacker down onto the line of scrimmage. Michael Kendricks. The mm. Michael Kendricks revenge game. Michael Kendricks is the Sam linebacker, the strong linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. They will frequently rotate him down on the line of scrimmage over the tight end, flexed out. They'll blitz him a lot. Eagles fans will remember that Kendricks is a good blitzer. He's also a good blitzer because he's not a cover man. And if you're not a good cover man, that means you're a good blitzer. Okay. <laughs> Number two is it means it gives you a... Uh, the weak side defensive end, no tight end on that side, because it's the weak side, seven technique, outside alignment, tilted alignment, this is where Eagles fans will look and be like, aha, that is familiar, because that's, that's that's an outside defensive end, he's got his eyes on the backfield, he's looking to rush the passer, that's where you're getting your pass rush from in the 4-3 under front, and that's where the Seahawks like to use Jadavian Clowney, especially on base downs. Now, when they get funky with it, they can move him around wherever. They can make him the stand-up Sam linebacker. They can, you know, pepper him into the line of scrimmage when they relinquish the 4-3 front. But that's the weak side alignment where they put Clowney. That's how the Eagles would have used Clowney as well. So two different fronts, Eagles go 4-3 over, Seahawks go 4-3 under. But both of them get could have gotten Clowney into this spot. And the Seattle Seahawks do so in the under on the weak side so this is the way that that defensive front's going to look it's going to give you five in the front and then two linebackers behind with an eighth safety in the box potentially for run support those two linebackers are kj Wright and bobby wagner michael Mm. Some good ball players, Tell All right? <laughs> Bobby Wagner, he, he's a good player. Yeah, uh, there's not a lot that Wagner does poorly, and what KJ Wright does well that's really impressive is, I think, sinking and playing coverage. Yep. The Eagles like to pick on linebackers in their RPO game. You called for the RPO game to get the Seahawks out of man coverage,
1: but only that because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, brother. It's,
2: yes. it's going to be tricky with these linebackers because they are really instinctive, smart, and good cover players. Now, if you watch the San Francisco game, you probably think to yourself, Ben, San Francisco had the middle of the field on three-step drops, five-step drops, open the whole game. How? Mm. Well, the Seahawks, or excuse me, uh, the Niners present a very heavy box, 21 personnel, full back, two, uh, two tight ends, 12 personnel. Yeah. Force you to keep seven to eight in the box. Seattle's very much like Philadelphia in that they will be plus one in the box until they die.
1: They'll go heavy and condensed and and all that stuff.
2: And then with play action, you open up the middle of the field for an in-breaking route to develop against man coverage. Uh uh We asked the question before the Patriots game. The answer clearly was a no. We're going to ask it again before the the Seahawks game. Do the Eagles have the receiving talent to win one-on-one matchups on time and in space?
1: (laughs) I'm looking at these matchups and just real quickly... This is what PFF says as, as far as where they align. JG Arthago whiteside versus Shaquille Griffin. By the way, Shaquille Griffin, it's good guy he's good at football. Jordan Matthews against Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers has been decent. It's Jordan Matthews. So, and we talked about the slot thing with Aguilar and possibly the tight ends and whatnot. So, I would say as far as the receivers go, just themselves winning one-on-one matchups, not looking great.
2: And this is also not the sort of corners that you want to be like, oh, we'll flex your tight ends out wide. Because Shaquille Griffin and Trey Trey Flowers are not small individuals. Mm -hmm. These are large football players. Shaquille Griffin and, okay, so Trey Flowers I know is like 6'1", 215 or something. Let's see, okay, Shaq Griffin, foot 195. Trey Flowers, six three two hundred two. 202. These are <laughs> big young men. Long uh, man. For the corner position, these, these are large players. So, it's not even like a good game for that. So, you know, if you want to follow that San Francisco model, then you've got to be able to win one-on-one matchups in breaking routes after loading the box and going heavy. Now, you don't need to do that. You can follow the Tampa Bay model. Tampa Bay hung, like, 40 on this team. Tampa Bay, air raid style approach. What does this mean? We're going to spread. We're going to get off coverage. They're still going to leave players isolated in one-on-one situations. That's what Seattle, they feel comfortable with Trey Flowers, feel comfortable with Shaq Griffin there. And then you got to be able to make spot location throws. We had a similar question before the Patriots game. Mm-hmm. We were unable to do so. Right. So you know, what you're not going to get from Seattle that you got a ton from the Patriots, and this is critical to understand because if you're thinking about, oh, Legion of Boom, Ken Norton, you do not get a ton of press coverage from this team. You will from the outside, but the, Niner, or the the Patriots, were putting press coverage over number two, number three. They're putting them over the slot. You will not get that from this team. So you can get quick passes in that way, but it's going to necessitate that you go spread. The Eagles don't have Alshon Donavaglor. They can't. They don't have enough bodies at the position. Got to activate Greg Ward. You know, if you want to be able to go ten personnel, you want to be able to go eleven personnel and go four wide out of that. So these are these are the the issues in the passing game that you're worried about. So. You talk about being able to generate deep routes. The Eagles passing game might have to be 0-0-0-50 because I don't think the quick game model, which is how they've tried to be successful with Carson, without Deshaun, without Alshon, with everything, I don't think it's going to lead to the long sustained drives that they want to throwing the football. Now, what have we not talked about that leads to super sustained drives that the Eagles have relied on so far this year? That's the running game. Mm. this is where it's going to be and i i I predicted last preview show that it's going to be a a high scoring game well i'm amending that slightly because eagle's going to have to be able to run the football seahawks defense bottom 10 in the league averaging 4.5 yards per carry when they go with this under front that they like you you said jerron reed is potentially whatever uh limited he might not be able to play whatever Mm -hmm. quentin jefferson or al woods huge young individuals one technique and three technique sometimes puna ford then it's uh uh, uh Jadavian Clowney is a five technique and put ziggy Ans on there sometimes there's some kid jefferson what's his name i can't remember
1: quinton jefferson Yeah. five
2: technique they do not have great talent on the defensive line especially to defend the run reed is good player clowny obviously a monster but Clowney's is a penetration style player you can generate movement on this team okay KJ. are and, and, and Bobby Wagner, good players. But if you're generating push upfield with the running game, you will be, you know, you're getting to that second level. You're staying on schedule. So that's what you like. The one thing that I will say that you have to be, have to, you have to, have to, have to be able to do is check runs away from Clowney. They did not do this <laughs> against Houston last year. Drove me up the wall. If, if, you, if you're a regular listeners of the show, you'll remember I talked about how difficult run blocking is against Houston when they had Clowney because they put Clowney wherever TF they want. Yep. And it's a nightmare to check into it. Seahawks don't do that. So you're going to know where Clowney is. There is no reason, given the relative struggles of Rasheem Green and Quentin Jefferson and Ziggy Ansah defending the run, to run near Clowney. Yeah, I agree. In order to do that, you can't. you either have to be able to motion the back and flip the sides of the run, which mm-hmm. means you have to go with a mirror formation, or you have to put Carson under center and put the back behind him. You're right. Or run same side power to death. Gives you the ability to, you know, if you have zone left and then Clowney's lined up the weak side, check the same side power. Right. And, then, and, then, and now you're running off the right side. So you have to be able to run from Clowney. So you have to be able to check calls. So it's I going like to be that. another heavy audible game for Carson. But they're at home. So that's fine. So, right. So I think that when, when, you, when you look at how this defense is constructed, to me, it starts at the front the front dictates what the defensive shell looks like behind. I don't think the RPO game is going to be very available. I don't think the quick game is going to be very available. If so, this team is a pretty good rally and tackle team, especially with Quandra Diggs now at the back. So if you're if you if you're going to take your, your deep shots, take your deep shots is what you need. But if you're looking for your long sustained drives, if you're looking for your uh, the model you followed thus far, which is you know uh, time of possession, third down conversion, staying ahead of schedule... They're going to be running the ball in second and 10 in this game. It's going to drive me nuts, but especially if there's no Alshon, I don't see how you win in the quick passing game.
1: I mean, we came away, both of us, with the same takeaways independently, that this is not like the quick game, pass game to go to. They have to manufacture and dial up some vertical shots. They have to be able to work the intermediate and deep areas of the field in this game to be able to do that they're going to have to be able to protect Carson Wentz. And the guy you mentioned, Jadavion Clowney, can be a, a bit of a right. He's, he's a little inconsistent, but he will mess you up. You know we love him on this show. And then you also have Andre Dillard moving from left to right in his first start at right tackle. That is concerning because, number one, like Dillard against Clowney at left tackle would be hard enough. Now you're telling this guy to switch all his footwork and everything he knows, and hes and he's not real comfortable with that. To, to, to possibly take on Clowney on the edge there. And I get a little concerned. And then, I mean, what happens if Peters goes down again? And now you've got Vitae in right tackle and you switch Dillard back to left or however you want to put him. Ooh, buddy. Yep. Not not feeling great about that. What do you, what do you think about the, the, the pass rush as far as the offensive line? Are you as concerned as I am if one of those scenarios happens?
2: Yes and no. I think that the nice thing is that like, all right, you have a rookie playing his first out of right tackle. Do you... Want to protect him? Do you want to help him? The Eagles historically have said yes. They've historically done so by aligning tight ends to that side. They want to use their tight ends anyway. And as I just talked about with the 4-3 under front, you can send Clowney against Peters if you make the right side of the formation the strong side because they're going to line up Clowney this weekend on base downs. Right. So I think you won't struggle to get Clowney away from Dillard on base downs. Now, on third down, the Seahawks get creative. And when you have linebackers like Wright and Wagner, you should. They will very frequently go with the double mug look, which we know and we've seen teams use before. We've seen Philadelphia use it before, where you have the ability to get Quentin Jefferson and Puna Ford as your three techniques, defensive tackles lined up in the B gap. Then you're able to get Ziggy Ansun, Jadavion Clowney as your seven techniques outside of the C gap. If Jerron Reed is healthy, Reed is in place of Puna Ford. Uh, And then you put Wagner and and, and K.J. Wright in the A-gaps. You're presenting a six-man front. Five of these guys are coming, maybe four, maybe six. And you have the ability to get those linebackers to quickly drop into shallow zones as well, take away the Eagles' mesh cross or something that those linebackers do really well. They also do move Clowney around the way that Houston did, but they typically reserve that for third and long. So easy solution, don't get in third and long. Hard solution, you're in third and long. Well, now you've got to pick up stunts, twists, and games. And the Eagles really struggle with that against the Patriots. So that's where the concern is. But Clowney is the only player that, to me, is going to be able to consistently beat the opponent up against whom he's... Up against? Up against whom he's lined.
1: Against whom he's aligned. Up against whom he's lined
2: up. Yeah, anyway... This isn't
1: Grantland, Ben. It's just a podcast. It's fine.
2: Some of us take these things seriously, Michael. <laughs> so, yes. The only other thing that I will say is that, and you brought this up with the uh, the safeties and, and, and rotating the, the safety. And I, I didn't necessarily address it. But now that I'm looking at the my notes, I remember I wanted to address this. They give a, a long leash to their secondary players in zone. And they should. Because they've got some really instinctive zone players. Can't say more about Bobby Wagner than I already have. He's just a fantastic ball player. And you want him to be able to read off his instinct and go. They have a long leash in zone. They're allowed to do what they think is best. Criticize Carson for some pump fakes in the New England game. Might be a pump fake game <laughs> here against <laughs> Seattle. You're can't. you you're able to move those safeties. You're able to move those deep safeties. Especially when you get Bradley McDougal responsible for a deep half of the field. That kid thinks he knows what's going on. And he, and he does. But he not always. So no. th- this this defense uh, backfield is given a, a long leash and a long license to jump routes to be aggressive in their zones. So if Carson's going to be in hanging in there, extending plays, pump faking, and, and 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 trying to hit second window throws, I think he might be able to find success
1: doing that. Ben breaking on the timeline as we record, Les Bowen just said that by the way, strong sense that Jordan Howard's quote unquote stinger. Is more complicated than that. With a couple other reporters saying that a player that won't be named has talked with them about the same thing. So there's a player going around saying that the stinger that Jordan Howard has is probably more than that. Uh, ben, if can I just say only I am?
2: You had listened.
1: to the kiss to
2: the show?
1: Well, you would have told. You would have it. Been I mean, been from told- the. F-
2: Remember when Peterson was show. like, "Oh yeah, no, no, no we're signing a because of Darren Sproles."
1: Are you really? Are you really? Because I questioned it then. I questioned it the last time we talked about. This is now the third time. And lo and behold, probably more. Stingers don't last two weeks, man. This they is, don't.
2: This is the third week of the stinger because of the bye week
1: Three weeks of stinger. a stinger? What'd you get stung by? <laughs> what, what like what sort of Pokemon gigantic villain? you or- <laughs> in
2: wasp. <laughs>
1: it's a gigantic man-sized wasp that you got stung by. So that's. Concerning, Obviously, he's had shoulder injuries in the past, as we have documented on this show. That would be bad for the offense. Uh, With that said, oh boy, let's get to the DraftKings Sportsbook official line for this game. The line has actually moved a little bit. The Eagles are down to one-point favorites. They opened as three-point favorites, by the way. I think that was a little bait to get some bets in. Uh, Eagles, one-point favorites at home, which isn't great. Over, under is still set at 48. What did we have the score yesterday? It was something like 20... 25-23. 20, 25-23. So we can still call it 25-23 since, you know, we'll say that... 24 you know, the and Vegas a half to same.
2: 23 and a half, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 25-23. So Over, under, on the Eagles scoring. 25 points
2: i still think they score more than 25 points to be honest because i think they're going to find a lot of success running the football i think ajay is going to finally be a part of the game plan which in terms of things to run with ajay same side power please and thank you so i do think that that they're going to find success running the football i think ajay is going to be part of the game plan so it's going to be a more consistent presence at running back than they had against the patriots i do think they're going to be able to hit big plays if alshon is back and we didn't really touch on this like alshon's expected to play Right. Okay, he's not going to be at 100%. Yeah, I'm here to tell you, Alshon's not been at 100% for a hot second. Uh, and all year. the athletic ability is not there. Um, But still, I think you have somebody who you actually want to throw the football to. You're like, ah, oh, yes, we are going to throw it to this receiver. Thank God. Mm. As opposed to the Patriots game. And that's like a huge deal because Alshon's going to be able to win at least a couple of one-on-ones and extend drives by converting first downs that were not converted against the Patriots. So I do think the Eagles score more than 25
1: and let's understand Alshon's drop issues popped up in one game. This well, season. this is the
2: whole like, like oh like Alshon's drop problems. Alshon dropped balls in the the the, the one game. Well, who who, yeah. who did we play before the Patriots?
1: The Bears. Yeah, he had three Bears. drops in that game. Again, the, the, that the main core of his issues. That's it. Uh, you said over on twenty five. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say over as well. But my final score prediction because I don't think the Eagles bonted defense now that has allowed what 14.7 points fourth best in the last three games for best them?
2: In the last three games or something oh no that was like yards per play yeah anyway go ahead
1: uh, i don't i don't think they're going to be a hold going to be able to hold up uh, unless they're unless the defensive line just completely eats and and like they should but the seahawks can do enough to move wilson around and he's dangerous dangerous enough on his own and their offense just really sets up well against the eagles in my opinion i'm gonna go 34 27 seahawks
2: this is going to be such a stupid game. I can guarantee you. Like, I, I, I think I, I tweeted this a couple weeks ago. No one is going to watch this game and be happy at the end. I don't think Eagles fans or Seahawks fans win or lose are going to watch and be like, yes. We're all probably going to be like, that was awful.
1: There's going to be no good takeaways, right. nothing.
2: I feel very similarly to how I did with the Eagles facing the Packers in Lambeau in week four. Eagles are 1 and 2 need to win the football game, shouldn't win the football game. They come out and they win the football game.
1: How, how, how much do you credit that to Devontae Adams getting toe? Because he was I mean, about to go for 500 yards right. by himself. And also,
2: like, how much do you credit that to Mike Pettin refusing to defend the run, <laughs> you know, on, on, on principle?
1: Right, right, right. Which,
2: like, you say that, but then also, <laughs> Devontae Adams would have gone for 500. The Seahawks aren't going to let Wilson throw in enough, I don't think go golfer 500, which I brought up the Tampa game, and if they treat it like they did the Tampa game, that's good on them and I'm proud of them, but I don't have faith in that coaching staff to do so.
1: If Wilson throws over 40 times in this game, they're winning, period.
2: Well, yeah. Now, there could be a situation where they're doing that because they're down a lot, which is typically why he throws more than 40, but yes.
1: You get what I mean. Like, right. if the run-pass balance is heavy pass early, I, th- I think right. they run away with this thing.
2: But this is, again, this is a game where the Eagles are going to win because they're going to string together long drives that are going to put points on the board. They're going to win the time of possession battle, and they're going to be able to convert on third down. They're facing a, a pretty bad running defense. They're facing a relatively average third down defense, which is a significant difference relative to what they had against the Patriots you know what I mean like that was not a good offensive showing but it was against as we've said a really really good defense this is an average to below average defense at home you should get more points in the first well they got 10 points against the Patriots in the first you should be you should be able to not fall into a hole you should be able to keep the crowd into it you should be able to generate some scoring drives you should be able to get your defense more rest the Seahawks defense profiles such as a team that the Eagles should be able to put points on the board I think the Eagles win the game This is exclusively on they need to win it to ensure that they can like if the Eagles win this game week 16 against the Cowboys locked in 100% is for the division. If the Cowboys lose against the Patriots, you know, this week, no matter what the Eagles do against the Seahawks locked in week 16 is for the division, this barring a stupid loss by the Eagles against like the Dolphins or the Giants or whatever. So with divisional certainty on the line. Expect the Eagles to get up and, and, and beat a good NFC team. And the Seahawks, who have played and won some really emotional games, traveling off the bye. I don't know. Maybe it's tougher in Philadelphia. 30-28. to 28, Eagles win.
1: Woo! We got a, we have, do we have a vending machine bet on this? Ven, Venmo, we always make these bets when we yes. never come through. But I think this is close enough to, to the actual event happening to where we can bet. Yes. Buy me a bag. Of
2: your choice. I do not want to buy you something called a bang. I will buy you whatever you want out of a vending machine. And if it ends up being a thing called bang, then you may have it.
1: Okay, so probably like a monster energy drink or a rain. And then God, I'll buy like you it. like Pop-Tarts or whatever the heck it is. A Snickers bar. Snickers I don't, bar. I don't eat Pop-Tarts for dinner anymore. I've grown up. Anymore. It's been like six months. <laughs> <laughs> ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Hello. Thank you as always
2: for listening to the Kissed and Solak show here on BGN Radio. Never forget which one of us is actually an Eagles fan and which one of us is a coward. <laughs> uh, of course, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L E K. He, the ignominious, the cruel, and unfeeling, is uh, Michael Kissed on Twitter at Michael cool. Kist NFL. it's K I S T. As always, rate, review, and subscribe.
1: Kissed the unfeeling kiss the cruel i like that yes, i like, the, I I like the that ring
2: monarchy little dictator title <laughs> um anyway so yeah this is the show uh the first half of the preview show was the eagles defense against the seahawks offense if you missed it make sure you grab it it's on your feeds so of course you wouldn't have missed it if you were subscribed so go ahead and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast rate and review as well eagle seahawks 1 p.m because it got unflexed but, I mean, like technically, it's still getting flexed, just the wrong way. Uh, it got put in the 1 p.m. slot, so now it's in the 1 p.m. slot on Sunday. Uh, make sure you catch it, and, of course, make sure you catch all of the post-game analysis here on the feed and on bleedinggreennation.com. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you early next week.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles Fly.